In Luke chapter 1, we have the story of Jesus coming to the earth. Now, I think a lot of times, maybe you guys are like me, we think about preparing for Christmas, we think about Christmas lists. My mom's been asking me for a Christmas list for over a month now. She wants to be ready to shop. We think about getting on our Christmas socks, right? Got to wear your Christmas socks. I got them too. It's okay. <laughs> we think about getting Christmas lights up. We think about, uh, you know, what are we going to cook? Whose house are we going to go to? You know, if, if you're like our family, it's like, whose parents do we go to what day? Who gets dibs this year? Who gets actual Christmas Day? And who gets Christmas Eve? And all of those things that kind of culminate into a bunch of chaos that oftentimes, though they're not bad things, they're good things, they can kind of pull us away from the focus of Christmas. And so in that idea, I kind of wanted to study through the Christmas story to get our hearts right. Because many times, while we're in the busyness, it's not that our plan is to forget what the reason is for the season, it's just that we do because there's so many other things that can choke us out. And so my purpose in teaching through this is that the last two years we've read through the Christmas story, but there's so much richness in just not only the story of Jesus coming to the world, but also in the people that he used to do so, to bring him into the world. And so in Luke chapter 1 this morning, in verse 5, we'll start. It says there, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Now I like how the Bible puts this. It doesn't say that they were old. It says they were well advanced in years. You know, you think of advanced, you're like, hey, level up. And so for them, they were in a season of barrenness. What is barrenness? It's kind of like when you plant a garden, you throw a bunch of seed in there, and then it gets flooded like we had this year. Many gardens didn't produce much because we got so much rain in such a little time that the garden was barren. So there was no fruit from it. Now in this culture, this culture, it, the way that people looked at it was if you didn't have children, there was something wrong with you. Not just physically, but they believed that maybe it was a curse from God. And so that a lot of time people will kind of whisper behind your back, hey, so-and-so, they've been married for so many years and they don't have any kids. I wonder if there's sin in their life. Now that's hard because we go, well, there are some people that just, they can't physically have children. So that's kind of harsh, right? But I want to point out that though they were in a season of barrenness, though they weren't able to, in their minds, have the blessing of God of having children, and children are a blessing from the Lord. They're an inheritance that he gives us. That did not stop them, them not having what God, what they wanted from God. That didn't stop them from serving God. They didn't look at their barrenness and go, well, since God's not giving me what I want, I'm going to do whatever I want and heck with him. And many people do that. They say, hey, I will serve God as long as he does everything I want him to do for me. Well, that puts us in the seat of God and not God himself. And so here we have this couple, it says there, uh, they were righteous before God. doesn't say that they were righteous before man. They weren't men pleasers. They weren't 
somebody that was trying to put up a front. They were people that were righteous before God. They lived rightly in his commandments. They walked in obedience. And it says, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, they were blameless. They didn't have any blame. There was nothing that anybody could pin on them. Hey, they're not walking according to the commandments of God. So that kind of flies in the face of the thinking of that day that if you didn't have children or the blessings of God in that way, then you were probably living in sin. The Bible says clearly that they were living rightly before God. And that's the only thing that makes us right before God. Not what people think about us, not what our families think about us, but what God thinks. You know, I, I've said this a couple of times in the last month, but there's a Phillips, Craig, and Dean song where he starts at the very beginning and he says, I want to bless you, God. I want my life to be a blessing to God. And what you'll find out is if your life is a blessing to God, as a natural fruit of that, the result is you will be a blessing to those who know God and those who don't know God. He will make you a blessing as you seek first, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you think you need will be added to you in his timing. And so it says there in verse 8, it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Okay, so wait a minute. We need to back up because how many of us know what the ordinances are of the priesthood? Uh, me neither. So I had to little, do a little digging. What it meant was that he was a descendant of Aaron. Now, if you think about all the tribes of the Israelites, there's 12 tribes, and there's also the Levites, and they were basically descendants of Aaron. If you remember the Exodus story, when they left out of Egypt, Moses delivered them, but there was a, a relative of his by the name of Aaron, who was actually, all of his descendants after him became priests. His descendants, his, uh, his relatives, basically, all those that came from the lineage of Aaron were made priests of God. They were to represent God to man, and they were to represent man to God. They would go into the temple, they would make the offering, they would sacrifice the animals, they would provide the covering of the blood over the mercy seat that would forgive them of their sins and cover their sins even. And so when he goes into the temple to burn incense, incense in the Bible is a picture of our prayers going up before the Lord as a sweet-smelling aroma. And I said this a couple of weeks ago when I was teaching in Farmington and talked about it, how you think about all the sacrifices they had to make of animals on an altar on wood and they would burn it. And we're like, that's gross. But think about it. Burning wood and you put meat over it, it smells like barbecue. It smells wonderful. You know, put a little, bar little A1 sauce or you know whatever while you're cooking it and that aroma goes up before the Lord, it goes into his nostril. One of the writers of the Old Testament says, it's a pleasing aroma to him. The words of our lips, talking to him, it pleases him. Just like when our children come to us with the right heart, doesn't always happen, and they ask us for something that they need. It's just like us praying before the Lord and saying, Lord, be my everything, meet my needs. Lord, I need you in this situation. Or, Lord, thank you for all that you've done as we celebrated Thanksgiving over this last week. We need to talk to God. That's why he 
provided a way for us to have fellowship with him. The only thing that separates us from God is sin. And he gave a sacrifice to forgive us of our sins, to take down that middle wall of separation. Now we can go boldly into the throne of grace and say, Lord, I need you. We don't have to go through a man. We don't have to talk to someone else. We can talk directly to the creator of the universe. And he is desiring to meet all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so when we don't talk to him, we're, we're really missing out on a blessing because here we are with Zechariah, and he is a priest. This is before the middle wall of separation came in. They had to go into the temple, but not just anybody could go. There had to, number one, be a provision of a sacrifice. There had to be a preparation of the priest. And then the priest that got, they would basically roll dice, but it wasn't like gambling. They had the Urim and the Thummim. It was the lights and the shadow. I can't remember what it was called, but it was basically like holy dice in a way. And they looked to the Lord. The Lord gave him these and they would cast lots is what they say. It's kind of like playing Yahtzee. But they, everyone would have a number and then when the person that came up to be go in to make the incense offering, that was like a once-in-a-lifetime thing for a priest. So here we have Zacharias, who has been preparing his whole life for this very day, and his lot gets called. He gets drafted, in a way, to go in and represent the whole nation of Israel before the throne of God, to intercede for them. And as he goes into the temple, prepared... There was an amount of time that they would spend in the temple. And if they went a little bit longer, people started to get nervous. Because in some cases, if the priest wasn't cleansed, if he hadn't confessed his sins and prepared himself to worship before the Lord, he could be struck dead. And this happened in the Old Testament. During the later times, they would actually put a bell around the priest's ankle. So if they stopped hearing the bell while he was in there, they just drag him out by the rope that they left tied to his ankle because in the Holy of Holies, they were approaching a holy God who cannot even look upon sin. And so this era of grace that we live in where we can just go in any way we please and say, Lord, cleanse me. I'm yours. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. It's unheard of to the Israelites. There was a specific way that you could worship God. You couldn't just go in any way you want. He had to wear a certain garment, and it was not plaid. It wasn't blue jeans. It was like a, a specific garment made for the priest. And so when he got to go in, it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So he goes in. It says there in verse 9, According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So this is what they would do. He would go in and give incense before the altar. And meanwhile, everyone would stay outside waiting in anticipation, praying during that hour for the priest, for God to meet him there, to give him a word for the nation. And then it says there in verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Now we think of angels, we might have an idea of a naked baby with wings, right? That's more of a Roman idea, that's not a biblical idea. We might think of, you know, something with a harp. But it says here, this is a mighty and awesome creature, because here we have Zechariah, he's prepared himself, he's gone into the altar and he sees this big angel. And fear fell upon him, he was struck with fear. 
In verse 13, the angel approaches him and says what he says to most, what angels say to most people in the Old Testament. He says, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. He says, don't be afraid. That's the first thing he says. That implies to me that Zacharias, though he was a godly man, he was afraid. It's okay to be afraid. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. And this wasn't even the Lord. This is one of his messengers, an angel. He says, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, Zacharias is not in there praying for his own needs. The priest does not go in there and say, hey, God, I know that I'm supposed to pray for the nation, but I've got this personal issue. What many commentators have written about this passage is that perhaps John had been praying, or excuse me, Zechariah had been praying about his wife being barren for years and years and years. Perhaps now that they're in well, in, well advanced in years, they're not even praying about that anymore. They're just like, well, I guess God's not going to give us children. Maybe they even got discouraged and said, you know, I can't even pray about it anymore. I'm just too hurt. And so they stopped. So while Zacharias is in there doing his duty and serving the Lord, even though he hasn't gotten necessarily what he's wanted from the Lord, he's still serving. He's interceding for the nation. And the Lord all at once not only answers the prayer to provide this Messiah that they've been looking ahead to for the nation, but at the same time he's answering a prayer that him and his wife had been praying for years. Something that they had stopped praying about. And here he goes into the temple and he's going, wait a minute, all the other guys that have gone before me into the temple, does the angel show up every time? They didn't tell me about this. You know, he's in there and this big, huge presence comes in, speaks to him something very specific to his situation and he's just blown away. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer is heard your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So not only does he tell him what God is promising, but also, hey, by the way, you need to name him John. <laughs> hey, how do we come up with a baby name? I don't know, maybe pray about it. I think God can give you a name. You know, it seems like in the Old Testament, all the names that come up over and over again, they always have some significance to the life of the child. So I think that's something that we can overlook. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And then it says some specific stuff. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he also will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. Not only does he tell them you're going to have a son and you've never been able to have one with your wife, but also here's his life in a nutshell. Like how cool is that? How much faith would it take to believe all that? Hey, you're going to have Justin. And Justin's going to do this, 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 and this. This is the main purpose for his whole life. Wow. That'd be pretty helpful, I think. You know? But why does he say that he's going to not drink the fruit of the vine and be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, he's telling them, it kind of alludes to Numbers chapter 6, 
where there is given there uh, something called a Nazarite vow. And in a Nazarite vow, they were not to partake of wine, they were not to cut their hair, and there was something else. But the point is, not so much what they won't do, but they won't do those things because their lives, their very being is set apart for the use of the Lord. And so these are some things that identify them as someone who is set apart. The word set apart is also the, where we get the word sanctified. Has a specific purpose. When you go by the turkey for Thanksgiving dinner, you have sanctified it. You've set it apart for the use of that particular meal you're going to have with your family. Now, does that make it a holy turkey? No, not necessarily. But it just means that it's set apart. John the Baptist is going to be set apart to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He's going to be the messenger that shouts out and proclaims, here comes the Savior. Here comes the Messiah that we've been looking for as a nation. He's like the herald that goes before a king when he's traveling. And so it says there that one of the things that he will do is he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll say, here comes the Messiah, be prepared. Now, what does John the Baptist end up doing? He goes out to the wilderness and he proclaims this. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So the kingdom of God coming was actually God himself coming to prepare his people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so John was going to be the one to go before anybody else and say, here he comes. And he's the last of the prophets of the old covenant. He was pointing forward to Jesus coming into the world. So verse 18 says, And Zacharias said to the angel, here's his response, This man of faith, this righteous individual, he comes, he hears from an angel. I don't know about you guys, but I've never spoken to an angel. But what he hears from the angel, he has doubts. Men and women of faith have doubt. And that's okay. But there are also consequences for our doubt. We'll see that here. He says, how shall I know this? Give me a sign. You know, we seek signs from the Lord. Lord, if this is your will, then do this, this, and this. Or if this is your will, make it obvious to me. How much more obvious do you need than an angel speaking to you? And we laugh about that, right? But we're the same way. We've got what Jesus specifically said to mankind, and yet we have doubts. And because we have doubts, many times we miss out on the blessing of the promises he makes to us. We don't take hold of them and go, God, you said it, I believe it, I'm going to walk forth in this truth. We struggle with that, don't we? It's a very real thing, and it's okay. But we need to be careful when we doubt the Lord. Uh, sometimes I think we need to start doubting ourselves more and trusting God more, rather than trusting ourselves and doubting God. And so here we are, he says this, he says, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Notice, men, he didn't say my wife's old. He said, well advanced in years. Careful with your words, right? But Zechariah, he says, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. He looked at the circumstance. He looked at the impossibilities first instead of looking at the abilities of his God first. And sometimes we do that. We need to be fully aware of God's abilities and we need to stop, start forgetting our impossibilities. And so he said to them, excuse me, 
The angel answered him, verse 19, he said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. What are glad tidings? That's kind of an old King Jimmy version. You know, like, what's a glad, I bring, I bid you glad tidings. Who says that? We don't say that, right? Well, glad tidings is just simply a phrase that means I bring you good news. I got some good news for you. I brought you this good news. But behold, verse 20, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. This is a promise of God. It will be fulfilled. But because you didn't believe it, you don't get to tell anybody about it. Now, we've been given good news, right? Jesus is the cure for spiritual cancer. Spiritual cancer. If you had the cure to cancer, would you go knock on doors and tell people? Or would you hold it to yourself? No, none of us would. But we've been given the spiritual cure to spiritual cancer. And yet we oftentimes do that, right? Because of our own belief, because of our own unfaithfulness. Sometimes we just, we're just like, you know, we forget what we've been given in Jesus. Complete forgiveness, complete cleansing. People need that. We need it. We know that. That's why we're here to celebrate. Lord, look at all the things that you've done. And yet, we sometimes, because of our unbelief, we are not taking the gospel to people who need it. And so he says, you will not be able to speak. I read one commentator that said this, and it was very convicting to me. He said, uh, he said how many Christians do you think would be really dis, uh, discouraged if the Lord said, I'm going to make you mute so you can't tell anybody the good news? And I thought about that, and I was like, if God made me mute, would it really affect how effective I've been? And many times I'd like to say, no, it wouldn't, because I don't share as much as I'm supposed to. And so, um, something just to think about. Not meant to be condemning. It's meant to be convicting, which should drive you to the Lord and encourage you to go and share. Um, anyway, that was humbling for me. So, I, you know, maybe it wasn't for you, maybe it was for me. But he said, uh, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time, you will be mute. Now, imagine this. He, like I said, he, get, the, get the context here. He is going into the temple... And everybody expects him to come out in a certain amount of time. And they expect him to have a word from the Lord to share with them. They're waiting there in prayer, not to give all these prayers of, Lord, give me, give me, give me, but they want to hear from the Lord. They're ready to hear a word from him. They need a word of refreshing. You know, they don't get to hear from him every day. They don't have a big book full of his words. And so they're waiting there at the temple. And when the guy comes out that's been offering incense, Many times he has a specific word for them. And so they're all out there waiting on the edge of their seat. What's, what's the Lord going to tell our priest? What's the priest going to represent from God to us? And he comes out and he can't talk. He comes out, he can't speak. He's mute, he can't speak. And so he comes out and he's like, <clears throat> he's been given this huge promise. He comes out and he can't tell anybody. Have you ever been told like the best news ever and you can't tell anybody? it's kind of like when I told my parents the first time, hey, we're going to have a baby. But mom, you can't tell anybody for a couple weeks. What? What do you mean I can't tell anybody? 
well, you know, we want to wait until we're so far along. Well, that's murder on a grandma. I mean, you may have well just stolen her birthday, you know. So <laughs> here he is. He's been given this awesome news and he can't even tell his own wife. No doubt he's trying to figure out, like, can we play Pictionary? Can we do some sort of, like, I'll write in the dust, you know. So verse 21 says, The people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. They were blown away. Why is he in there still? Did he die? Has he been smote because he wasn't properly prepared? Verse 22, But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. You know, he just walks out and he's like, come here, come here. They're like, what? He's like, (laughs) you know, he can't, it's not like he can text them real quick. You know, he can't get out his cell phone and go, wait, Snapchat. You know, he's not able to message them or make a Facebook status update. He's not able to email. There's no typewriter. You know, there's no mimeograph, whatever. He doesn't have any way to communicate. And so he's just there like, oh, frustrating. Verse 23, so it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So when his days of service were completed, he went back home. He knew God's promise. He did what husbands and wives naturally do. And then God fulfilled his promise. He knew what God said he would do, but there was also an action he took. And as the Lord gave them conception, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself for five months. She wasn't hiding herself because she was embarrassed as an older woman who had been who had conceived uh, she hid herself it seems to spend some time with the lord this was a time when nobody would have even noticed that she was pregnant she wasn't hiding because she was noticeably pregnant she was hiding because she's just considering all these things imagine if you will if you're advanced in years and you conceive and you're just like we were never able to have children why now Lord, what do you want us to do? And she can't get a direct word from the Lord through her husband because he can't talk. And so she's just contemplating these things. What does this mean? What is the purpose of this child? There must be a special reason why God has given us this child. And so as we close, I want to make a couple of um, observations. These individuals that God used in this particular event were all waiting for the Messiah. They were all watching for the coming of the Lord. They were in a place where God had allowed them to be uh, underneath an oppressive government, an, a godless government, and uh, yet they were looking for God to work in a mighty way. They were open to Him speaking to them about how He wanted to use them in that particular time and case. And many times we find ourselves in a discouraging time Maybe in a time of barrenness, we feel like we're being unfruitful and we don't know how to change that. But in this case, look at these two individuals, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Even though they were discouraged because of their barrenness, God wasn't finished with them yet. He hadn't retired them and set them on the shelf. He was looking to use someone who was willing to be used. 
open to hearing his voice. And as they were doing what they always had done, going up to the temple to pray, that's when God spoke to them specifically and said, I want to use you because you've made yourselves available to me. And so look at this. God is bringing the Messiah into the world, but before he ever brings the Messiah into the world, he prepares a specific couple who are willing and open to him using them. And he gives them a child, not so much so they can just have their own offspring, so that that child can have his purpose and be part of bringing the Messiah into the world, a messenger. You and I have been given the kingdom of God in us. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And though we're not looking for the coming of the Messiah, we know about the Messiah and we're looking ahead to his second coming. Remember, Jesus taught his disciples, your will be done on earth as it is being done in heaven. And so as we have the opportunity in this season to bring Jesus to people, to be the herald like John the Baptist, to prepare people for the coming of the Lord, he's already come, but he will come again. And so our job is just like Zacharias and Elizabeth this morning. We are those, hopefully, that are willing and open to God using us, not to bring Jesus to the world the first time, but to bring Jesus to those who he's placed around us. We've been given good news. Will we be like Zacharias and, and doubt and not share? Or will we be like John the Baptist will ultimately be and in everything that we do point, hey, here's the Messiah. He's coming. And then when he comes on the scene, John the Baptist is out there preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn from your wicked ways. Make straight the paths that, the crooked paths, prepare the way for the Lord. And the kingdom of God, the, the Lord comes and he comes to them specifically and they were already prepared by John the Baptist by that time. So you and I have the opportunity to be his messengers. And you and I, especially during this time of the year, when everybody's celebrating Christmas and missing the point, we have the opportunity to preach the word. I was reading that this morning. Preach the word in 1 Timothy. He's talking to Timothy, who is a young pastor. But the word he uses there is not a word for only ministers of the gospel or specifically pastors or preachers to proclaim it. You and I have the same message. To preach the word means to speak truth into the lives of those around us so that they will know. Many people don't know Jesus because no one's ever told them that the rabbit's foot is really not going to save their lives in the day of calamity. That, you know, celebrating or, or believing in luck or all these other things that, that really won't deliver us. Whether it's, you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever the thing is the person looks to for hope, it won't satisfy Jesus has come and he is the bread of life. He has come. He is the wine, the joy, the gladness that we're looking for. And it's only him that will fulfill that need. And so let me ask you, are you willing and available like Zacharias and Elizabeth? I'm very convicted by this because I don't make myself willing like I should. And so let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the coming of our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior. Thank you for those that have walked before us who were willing to hear your voice and to go at your command. Lord, our lives are full of things and stuff and schedules and plans and 
Lord, they're not necessarily bad things if they don't come before you. And so I just ask, Lord, this, this season as we look towards Christmas, no doubt Thanksgiving has just ended, so we're not trying to rush it. But Lord, as we look towards the Christmas season, Lord, help us to have the proper perspective in it. Help us to look for the opportunities that you're giving us every day to point people to Jesus so they can receive the gift that you gave and be able to see the reason for the season and have the hope that comes from a personal relationship with our Lord. Thank you, Father, for this word. Thank you for this reminder. I pray that it would compel us to do whatever it is that you call us to do. Lord, we don't know specifically what you want us to do, but here we are. We just are making ourselves willing and available. In Jesus' name, amen.